Hello, and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a bi weekly podcast examining the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin Redwing, joined by my co host, Sam Mosier. How are you doing, Sam? I'm very happy to be here as always. Uh, another wild week of gaming news in January. Um, but this is also a very special episode of Real-Time Strategy because we have our first non-triple point guest. Yes. Welcome freelance writer George Yang. He George writes for a number of outlets, including Launcher, Wired, IGN, The Verge, and more. So thank you so much for joining us, George. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you uh, so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. I Like Sam said, I know it's been an insane day. It is <laughs> another one of those Monday acquisitions in January. Um, so we <laughs> will hopefully not take up too much of your time today, but we're excited that you've joined us. Um, one thing I do want to say, okay, so I, I've always wanted to say it, and this is my chance now. So, uh, so I would just want to say uh, my views are are mine only and do not um do not reflect the ones of my i guess multiple employers that i freelance for so just want to get that out of the way (laughs) yeah no worries um before we dive in we also have a quick disclaimer (laughs) it's a good segue uh triple point works with many gaming companies that may come up on this show including blizzard pokemon company gearbox and more um, visit triplepointpr.com for our full client roster. So, George, we every guest that we have on, we just kind of like to get to know them a little bit more and have a few starter questions for you. Um, to begin, do you want to give us a little bit of a background into your journalist career and how you got into games journalism? Yeah, um, so I started around, I think, mid-2019, um i had just gotten back from pax east as just like a regular attendee right um and uh bef- like right before that i i had a failed youtube career <laughs> <laughs> um i had it for like two months before i gave up um but anyway um i i did that and then went to pax east as a consumer uh came back um and then i joined a discord uh that that had like other like aspiring journalist people. And I decided to just kind of like talk with them to see how, you know, how everything went. Um, so that's kind of how I got, I got my start. Um, the first site that I started writing for was for a smaller site called Only Single Player. Um, there, as you can tell by the name, it's a website dedicated to single player games. Um, and then a year after, and then a year later, I eventually moved on from that. Um, and then I started freelancing at other places too, just kind of putting feelers out, um, pitching and stuff like that. So been at it since almost three years, almost nice. three years. Um, but yeah, started around 2019. Okay, cool. Um, I uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate the failed YouTube career because I'm yes. in the same boat. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, so, so uh, the thing about that, so I originally wanted to do like hosting stuff you know, something like, like you see on like, on like kind of funny, right? Like that kind of stuff. But that never took off. And I got kind of impatient of it. Because, okay, uh, it, it takes it takes a lot more work to like, record and edit stuff. And so I realized I don't want to do all that. <laughs> so, so I just, just like, 
yeah, I just kind of threw it aside and tried to do something else. Yeah. Um, and then I have no actual like journalism background. I went to business school. So okay. um, so anything I learned there doesn't really apply to to the writing stuff. Um, if anything, I learned how to like write, I guess like a like cordial emails, I guess. Because <laughs> that part of me is like my business school mind kind of going. So yeah, at least there's that. <laughs> So George, what inspired the move from, you know, studying business to entering covering games? Yeah. Um, that's weird because at, when, when I went to business school, I think when it comes to like business majors, there's like two types, right? There's the ones that are like super dedicated to like business, like like when they graduate, they're the ones who are working at like the big four firms, like Deloitte or like, you know, Accenture, th those kind of things. And then the other half are like um, our, our college students who really don't know what they want to do. And they just pick business because it seems like the you know logical path forward. And and I fell in that la that latter camp. Um, and, you know, even upon graduating uh, college, I, I still I still had that mindset. Um, and I felt for me personally, like, I, I don't want to, like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> I, I want to do something that I actually like. Now, granted, um, I only do the writing stuff uh, freelance um, in my free time. You know, I, I actually still work a nine to five job to help pay those bills. Um, but for the most part, um, yeah, I do my, I do my freelancing in my, in my off hours. Um, so, yeah. I, uh, we have a lot in common because I was also in business school, but I dropped out of business school <laughs> and went to communication school. Um, I had a, I just had one really lucky professor who she taught a, like a business communications class. And she was like, you don't fit here. And I was like, is it that obvious? <laughs> wow. Um, but no, she was one of the best professors I've ever had because she also taught communications and I took PR classes with her and then. I was free. I was actually writing for a video game website called Game Savvy, and I I had that like I sat down and I was like, okay, do I want to go into games journalism or public relations? And just just happened to got a job in PR first, and so I was like, okay, this is the route I'm taking. <laughs> yeah, um, I um I so I see so back in 2019 around when I started this, um I had actually got laid off from a job. And um, luckily, the place I currently work at, um, they picked, uh, I got a job there shortly after. Um, um, but I think, I think I very well could have gone down that video game PR path if I had known this was an actual thing. Because at the point I had, <laughs> because at that point, I, you know, I had no idea video game PR was, was a career path. Um, and, <laughs> and so I think now, um, I think I'm like fully into like games press um you know that i that my brain can't really imagine myself in pr but of course you know things can change in the future um but yeah. that's kind of the you know, you know the path that you know I, I i went down you know kind of similar to you caitlin you know you said do i want to do games writing or like pr you know that kind of thing yeah. so yeah it's i've talked to so many people both on pr side and journalism side that a lot of us kind of we approached that fork in the road and one went one way and one went the other way. And then a lot of people switch back and forth. It's uh, very interesting. Well, that thank you for giving us 
more background into how you got started. Um, a couple other just like quick things. What, um, what video games are you playing right now? And what would you say is like your favorite video game ever? Right. Okay. So um, what I'm playing right now, um, right now I'm actually playing um, currently a Horizon Forbidden West. I'm reviewing Ooh. the game. Um, Fun. That, but that's as far as I can say. <laughs> that's as far, of course, before embargo. Um, other than that, um, I'm planning on starting Pokemon tonight. Um, I, I haven't had the chance to uh, go into that yet, so I'm pretty excited. Um, all of the impressions that I've read is like, oh, this is the best Pokemon game in like 20 years, you know, or whatever. Um, but I, I'm, I'm super psyched to go into that. Um, and then, uh, I guess favorite game of all time. So I'm really into like JRPGs. Um, th that's the genre that I grew up in. And if I had to pick a favorite game of all time, personally, I would pick, uh, Persona 4 Golden. Um, that, I don't know that game came at like the right time, really resonated with me, put hundreds of hours in that game. Um, I love it. So, and shout out you know, to the Vita. Yeah, I know, right? And, <laughs> and you know, I I also love Persona Five. Um, I, like I know, like Persona Five, like gameplay wise, presentation is much better than Persona Four Golden. But but there's this experience and sentimental value that I have with Persona Four Golden that that you know sometimes I I kind of juggle my head. Oh, do I like? persona 4 golden better or persona 5 better you know that that kind of a that kind of a problem so yeah i understand that problem <laughs> that's how i feel with the last of us and the last of us 2 i love both but it's like the, oh the last of us has like that nostalgia factor of that's what really got me excited and into those kinds of games yeah i'm also playing pokemon right now and I love it and also think it's one of the best games, <laughs> best Pokemon games the past 20 years. Uh, all that was missing was the fear of drowning. In, yeah, in I Pokemon. heard you can like drown and like fall off cliffs in that game. Like, huh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I've died a lot on accident and trying to catch Pokemon. I was like, oh, I can, I just need to get in the water just a little bit to like get mm -hmm. this, this one Pokemon. And then I drowned and I was like, you know what? It was worth it. <laughs> It turns out all you were missing was a, a sense of danger <laughs> and imminent <laughs> death. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. We can dive into like our first kind of topic, which is um, something we just kind of want to talk about is there's been like this games media, like an evolution of games media and media in general and how it's always evolving. Um, just in your past two years, wanted to get your perspective on if you've seen a change in journalism the past year, past couple years, and if so, where do you think journalism is kind of going in the future? Yeah. Um, so the thing that I haven't been around for too long, mm -hmm. um, only been two, about two and a half years. Um, so when I started, I didn't really have much insight to the, in the industry or really any connections. Um, because I worked at a really small site, right? So it was kind yeah. of a more siloed experience experience um you know I, I didn't really get much access um to things like for example like me back in 2019 there's i mean there's no way i i would have gotten access to like you know pre-release horizon forbidden west right but now i do um so you know uh you know a lot a lot of things can happen in two and a half years 
Um, but what really, really, um, so, so, so what, so what I can really talk about is actually how, you know, the, the pandemic has affected things. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, um, for me, I saw a lot of sites cut back on their freelance budgets, um, simply because, you know, people were losing their jobs during the pandemic, right? People were getting fired left and right. And when people don't have money, they don't buy things. So traditional ad revenue, um, was not as helpful because people aren't buying stuff that, you know, sites show, you know, in their ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as a consequence of that, um, a lot of different sites c- c- tried to cut down their budgets, save where they could. Um, and there's been a few, a few sites that shut down as well. Um, in particular, I remember US Gamer shutting down uh, at the end of 2020, yeah. um, you know, part of the Gamer Network, uh, uh, group of sites and i mean i i don't i don't have any insight as to why it shut down but I, I i wouldn't be surprised if you know the pandemic had a uh had a big effect on it because gibber network also um owns like you know i think packs as well and of mm-hmm. course with physical events shut down that's a huge chunk of like money gone for them so so the pandemic really 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 took an effect on things I think now a lot of things are starting to rebound, um, you know, as, as, well, I wouldn't say we're, we're I mean, we're not, we're not out of this. <laughs> we're, we're, we, we, we kind of have to like learn to live with it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the game, game media part, um, I, I think a lot of sites have more money to give out for freelance stuff. Yeah. Um, there's also the shift in um, like, 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 Geographical wise, um, a lot of big staff time, like staff jobs, require you to be in like New York or like San Francisco. But of course, we all know everyone works remotely now, and we've all shown this is a possibility. There's no reason for a writer to have to move to New York, you know, um, to work for one of those big, you know, publications. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's a shift I see. Um, I, I've been seeing a lot more now. Um, and I don't know how, I don't know how like previews for games, um, especially like big AAA games have, ha- uh, like were done before the pandemic. Cause of course, um, as I said, you know, I started in 2019, the year before the pandemic, um, I wasn't, I didn't really have access to previews of games, but whenever I do previews now, it's usually through like a video presentation or, um, I would get like a, like a, a, like a limited build or some publishers um you know this happens the most with um smaller or japan or like japanese publishers they'll they'll give you the they'll, they'll give you full access to the entire game but they'll set parameters of what you can talk about um within the confines of like the context of a preview right like oh this preview you, you can only go up to you know area two and talk about that and then um you know that kind of thing and i i know like previously uh Publishers were, would fly out media people to like visit their studio and and get like hands on with the game. Um, I've never had one of those experiences before, um, but I mean, I can't I can't imagine those are too often because of you know the whole pandemic thing. Right. Um, but I really hope the way that I, I'm doing previous now stays because one, um, that's less cost, and because of that, you know, I'm able to do it. You know. Um, 
from the safety of my own home. I don't have to shell out any money. Um, and it's great for like people who don't have, you know, access, um, you know, physical access to things. So kind of everything is like shifting towards, you know, digital and stuff like that. Yeah. I definitely think that aspect will probably stay just, I think both sides and like our clients all have kind of realized like that is easier and just like being able to like send someone a code and yes, sometimes you have to do parameters, but sometimes you're also like clients are able to build like press demos and we can send that build. And so there's no worry that like anything's going to leak. Um, I think what's harder and not something we deal with often, but is like physical hardware, which I mean, that's a thing in games PR. Like There is hardware, but it's not as often as a video game. So not that as any um, a hurdle we have really had to tackle yet. But I imagine that is something like people probably still need to figure out is, okay, do we send like all these builds to reporters? Or do we try and like fly reporters out to maybe New York and or LA or just what whatever is easiest to have like a pressed a physical demo? Um, yeah, George, have you had any experience with? I know a few games have done demos over something like Parsec or a few other like streaming things where it's the it gives you the feeling of a hands-on demo except of course with maybe a bit of input lag because you're playing a streamed version of the demo from the developer right mm. so personally i have not but i know uh i know a few of my other freelance colleagues who have um there's like parsec there's also i think something called shadow mm -hmm. um th that's another one that um i know that a few of my colleagues have done but personally no i have not been able uh I, or at least well, not been able but i haven't really been invited um to one of those yet so yeah. i can't really talk i can't really say much about it because i have i've never i've never experienced or done it so well and i think your observation is right that like even just as a enthusiast consumer of games myself is i you know just a much less wealth of hands-on previews in general whether they are you know the very rare in-person thing or over parsec i hadn't really thought about it but i do think that's kind of linked to this recent trend of games coming out and the general public being shocked by how good they are um, because we're not getting through the traditional preview marketing cycle that we're used to, like Guardians of the Galaxy, Halo Infinite, I think even like to a degree Rainbow Six Extraction, they finally come out and people are like, oh, these games are actually good because <laughs> all we were going off of were trailers and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever yeah. limited materials there were. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that um, I know that when when writers do the previews um and, and and i think publishers i think pr and publishers require this too but um they put like they specifically either put hands-on preview or hands-off preview right because i think if it's important to specify that because if you're it, because um when we write it we we can't we can't say about how a game feels unless we actually have a hands-on approach to it right um, but if it's a hands-off, if it's a hands-off demo, um, we make sure to like, uh, in, in press, we make sure to like, um, we make sure to mention that say like, Hey, so, um, you know, we were able to get a hands-off demo, like, oh, this part of the game looks, uh, looks good, but we won't know for sure because, um, 
we don't know how it feels because it won the hand off hand on demo. So there's also that distinction. Gotcha. Hmm. Lots of things that I hadn't thought about until like right this moment. <laughs> so I guess we've talked about the pros and cons of remote working <laughs> in the pandemic. Um, do you, as a freelance writer, are there any benefits that you would say a freelance freelance writer has or even cons and does your writing change based on like what outlet you're writing for yeah um i, I would say the biggest uh biggest benefit to being a freelancer is that um you can write anywhere right mm -hmm. um uh, uh, when you when you write exclusively for one website that pretty much means you're working full-time there with benefits, right? Yeah. But uh, if, if you're not a full-time employee, then you're able to um, really write anywhere you want. Um, you're not beholden to any one site. Um, I will say though, um, there have been s sites that I've seen that, <laughs> that for some odd reason, they require you to uh, ha, ha, like sign an exclusivity an exclusivity clause with them, um, mm -hmm. which in my opinion um, is not good because one that would that stifles your freelance career, and um, and any sort of self respecting outlet would not have you do that. Yeah, um, yeah that's a yeah. red flag for sure. Yeah, it's a very very big red flag, <laughs> and and the things that the sites who do this, um, the sites who do this often do not pay very well at all so so you're like honestly you're literally better off not getting the money and just mm -hmm. doing your work on like your own blog because at least you own it right mm -hmm. and a, a lot of these like exploitative sites um once you leave they'll actually wipe your name from the from the website so you can't so you can't like actually provide proof that you that you wrote it, which is why I say, you know, the alternative to that is just to publish on your own blog, you know, or whatever that's, you know, that'd be a much better alternative to, to you know, being exploited at a smaller site. Um, so, you know, just be careful with those kind of things. Um, so again, uh, being able to write at different places without the expectation that you're exclusive to one is probably the biggest benefit. Um, I would say the biggest con is that um in order to get like uh bigger like more access or like bigger stories you're gonna have to do a lot of the heavy lifting yourself as a freelancer um so personally for me when i want to do interviews uh i'm the one who reaches out to pr um i'm the one who like thinks up a story in my head and then i pitch it to different outlets um pitching can be really really exhausting um because you're waiting for an editor to get back to you and like, oh, they know whether or not they're interested in a story or not. And then you're stuck waiting and waiting and you know, just time passes when um, when you when that time could have, you know, been used for something useful, like, you know, actually writing the thing, you know, or, right. or you know, something like that. Um, and, and also uh, the, the the one thing I do want to I do want to warn about like games press is that um you know the whole like games media to pr pipeline joke mm -hmm. have you heard of that yeah. yes. the, the, you know the, the the reason why uh, that's a thing is that 
is that um well one the skills are transferable you know writing and stuff like that uh, but also uh, the thing that entertainment writing doesn't really pay all that much and um and and the game side of things is on the lower scale of that spectrum even you know um and so so I would say only really stick with like game writing if you can't really imagine yourself doing anything else in life mm-hmm. um, because it, re- it really doesn't um, pay that well. And, you know, as as seen from like, you know, 2020 layoffs at like websites shutting down, it's not a very stable career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why people go to PR because it's a much more stable position. And And, you know, you're probably being paid a lot more too um so yeah that's yeah that's one thing i i do want to do want to emphasize uh, it's like a catch-22 where you get the people who are the most passionate stick with games pr and you get great pieces from them but then you also lose talented people because there's not they're not great benefits or pay or unions and then they end up going another route and you lose that talent yeah yeah and um and and there's also the part where uh obviously um gonna get a little political here <laughs> but um the 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 united states especially we don't have universal health care right and right. so personally for me um i do have enough work opportunities and gigs where i can actually go full-time freelance writing and you know, quit my job and go full-time freelance if i wanted to but if i did that i i, I don't have any health insurance or benefits so that's literally the one thing that's holding me back from doing that right um so so there's also that as well uh, that you know other countries don't really have to worry about that um you know i i have a lot of uh freelance colleagues in you know europe um some in canada and and this is not something that they have to think about you know um and but if you if you do get lucky and um get married <laughs> you know um you can mooch off your spouse for their health insurance to go full time, but I'm not at that point yet. (laughs) (laughs) You're in safe company there. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's all a scam. (laughs) George, you make a good comparison between the transferable skills between PR folks and games writers or games journalists. How in that case, um, can games PR folks help freelance writers like yourself? What, how can we help you? How do we annoy you? <laughs> um, <laughs> let me think. So the okay, so the thing is that when you reach out to like writers and editors, you have to understand that um, that you know we have only eight hours a day for work, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there's so many games coming out that <laughs> that we had to really pick and choose. Um, what we cover, right? It it helps to like it. I, I think as PR, it does help to um, know who your audience is or who you're who you're pitching to, right? So if you're though, so if you make it targeted, I think you'd have a much better chance of securing coverage um, at like a certain place. If you, you know, if you're trying to like get coverage, um, a good example of this. Um, I'm not going to go into specifics. But uh, so one PR company uh, reached out to me, asked me if I wanted to do a story on like a on like a sort of a Asian cultural thing, and um and and that's stuff that I do cover uh, in games, right? Mm-hmm. Um and 
they specifically reached out to me for that story because they know that I cover that, right? Um, and so like, oh, that's a good fit for what I do. Um, yeah. Otherwise, if it wasn't targeted towards me, I probably wouldn't have bothered like answering or something like that. So as long as you like kind of know your audience and um, who, who you're reaching out to, I think you'd get a better response. Um, like, you know, just kind of understand what websites cater you know, cater which audiences. Uh, like, if, you, if you're looking at, like, your IGNs and your GameSpots, um, of course, they are the biggest sites. And I know that, like, every, like, indie publisher wants that, like, coveted, you know, spot on, like, you know, IGN website or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, being the biggest sites, uh, you know, they, they do primarily cover, like, the biggest games, you know, like your AAAs and whatnot. So it can be difficult to get like a small time, you know, uh, you know, indie developer on on a on a spot there, unless like your indie game is the talk of town. Like for example, like uh, right. like IGN and GameStop recovering Wordle, <laughs> like right, right. But like <laughs> right. nobody was you know talking about that until like very recently. And now and, and you know now these big uh, now these big sites are talking about it. Um, and so I think that's where like the smaller sites can or like. Sort of like the middle tier sites can really um can really help out uh you know um i mean like middle tier as in like maybe their audience size you know yeah. not like middle tier it's like you know they're not as good of course um, but like right. you know if if your if your website or like it, like if your game is like a switch exclusive right um then it'd be helpful to go to like a site like like Nintendo Life or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so it, so it really helps to like know what that what the site caters to um, and know what the audience is. Um, you know, I, Twitter is also a good place to uh, to see what's trending. Um, and as always, all these sites are kind of beholden to the magical Google. SEO algorithm. So that's one thing to consider. Um, and, you know, coming from the press side, if, if, uh, if we do cover a game, right. And we like, it's oh like this new game is announced. Um, and then, you know, PR wants us to cover, um, you know, an update on this game, like two months later, we will look at like previous coverage of the game, uh, of the game that we've done in the past, look at the metrics. If it's like, if it doesn't pop off, then there's not as much of a chance that we'll cover it again. So that's yeah. so that is one thing to um, to be aware of. Um, I know that's not like what a lot of indie devs want to hear, um, but that's kind of the reality of the situation. We only have limited amounts of time to work on things mm-hmm. and limited amounts of time to cover. So we have to really pick and choose what makes the most impact. Uh, because you know Google, that kind of thing. Yeah, we are all beholden to the Google algorithm. <laughs> but that is, you make excellent points, and something that we do as PR professionals is kind of like set those expectations with our clients, especially like if you have an indie developer. Like you said, everyone wants to be on IGN's like feature page, front page, but some it's not always realistic. And even when I was kind of just coming up with like what we were going to talk about today, I was kind of looking into, I was like, I wonder how many PR people there are per journalist and was actually shocked to find out this is by Muckrack, 
which is a platform we use by, yep, you're familiar. Um, it's six PR people per one reporter. <laughs> that's two. It's that's increased two times in the past decade, and I only imagine that will that trend will continue. Uh, just with the decentralization of media, and like you've said, like it's just with the lack of um, pay and benefits for a lot of people, people move away from it, and it's definitely something we need to keep in mind as PR professionals when we're pitching. And I think Triple Point personally does a really good job just coming from other agencies who I may have been persuade, I may have been pushed to like send out as many pitches as I, as I can. Now it's like, I'm at a place where I think we've all un- kind of come to that understanding that like the more targeted your pitch is the better. Cause like you said, what, like if you're pitching, a topic to a reporter, like a games topic, and they talk about transportation. Why, like, how did that get in their inbox? They're just, you're going to get blacklisted. And I don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I apologize if you have like a huge influx of emails. <laughs> oh, yeah. I look <laughs> like I, I, I know this again. I, I, I know this isn't something that PR, this isn't something that PR wants to hear, but I don't open up most of my PR emails. I, I really don't. Yeah. I get all of my updates through Twitter. So if, so if you get your, if you get your, you know, um, your, your clients to post it through Twitter, personally, I, I probably see it more. I I probably have a chance to see it um, more than I would if I, if I, if I went through my emails, because I get a bunch of press releases every single day. Yeah. Um, and again, the target approach, the targeted approach is better because like, oh, that would grab my attention, you know, right. rather than, you know, just a very general um, press email. We should have had you on our podcast episode. We talked about Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you oh, use yeah, it Twitter. as like <laughs> a great resource? Twitter is weird. It is very weird. <laughs> Twitter is weird is a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I was stuck on it all day after the bungee news. <laughs> Yeah, that. Oh my God, <laughs> George, wild. have you found that episode was all about gaming's kind of weird? You know, we've picked Twitter as our social media yeah. choice, mm-hmm. as it seems. Um, have you used it for freelancing in any way? Whether it's like networking or yeah, yeah. pitch ideas. Yeah. If you have any um, examples, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I. So I. So I, I did listen listen to that episode. Um, so yeah, I. I use Twitter as my as my main networking uh, platform when it comes to pitching ideas, games coverage. Um, that's how I meet most of my editors, actually. Um, so, so like I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Um, so right, so right now, um, now I mentioned that I am uh, playing Horizon Forbidden West. Um, I'm, I'm actually reviewing it for Complex. You know that big. Mm-hmm. Pop culture, uh, yeah, uh, I love music, yeah, yeah, music I love coverage. Yeah. yeah, and so, um, and so I, so I actually, um, followed one of the editors at Complex and DM'd him saying, "Hey, um, I was wondering if you wanted to do, if you wanted, um, if you wanted to do like more gaming coverage. I have some ideas, and I'd like to, you know." you know, email them to, to see what you think. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he answered me back like, Hey, um, sure. I, 
be happy to take a look, you know, um, that actually started my, my correspondence with that editor started last year. Um, I, I pitched him a, an, an idea for like a interview feature. Um, unfortunately he, he did decline it, um, for complex, but it's like, okay. I mean, rejection is part of the whole job. Right. Um, so I pitched it somewhere else, got, got that accepted. Um, but then I followed up with, you know, my editor there last month, uh, no, not last month, but a few weeks ago, but like, Hey, um, I'd like to pitch you some reviews for, you know, this game, this game. And, and he, and, and one of them was for horizon. Right. And, and so he, he decided to pick that one up and now, and now this is going to be my first assignment for, for, for complex. Right. So I, I use, I use Twitter a lot for, uh, for networking purposes. Um, and as well, um, and as well as like an overall branding thing, if you get what I mean. Um, yeah. A good example would be like, you know, you know, you, you probably know him, but Gene Park over at the Washington Post launcher. Um, dude gets like a wild amount of engagement, no matter <laughs> what he tweets. Right. <laughs> and, and and so and and so like in so like launcher. Uh, so he, he's a great, you know, employee, great asset to to launch to, to launcher. Right. Because his overall brand and personality helps bring, you know, readers to the site. Right. And yeah. so Twitter can be used for branding purposes as well. Um, networking, uh, that kind of thing. Um, not, not only Twitter, but uh, I use other social media platforms as well to try to get more opportunities. Um, so for example, for that, so, so one thing that happened with my last job, I learned how to, um, I learned how to source people's emails and guess and guess what they are based on like the format of, of their emails. And so that's a skill that I actually, um, that transferred nicely over to freelancing. Um, so I did a ghost of, like, I did a ghost of Tsushima um, article uh, back with US Gamer before they shut down, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and this was for the lead actor uh, for the for the game. Um, you know, the, the main character, Jin Sakai, he's voiced yeah. by Daisuke, uh, a guy named Daisuke. Um, he was relatively, I think he was relatively unknown at the time. Um, but I did manage to reach out to him. He, 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 he had, he was very, he was very inactive on Twitter. Like his last post was like from like two years ago, <laughs> you know, by the time I reached out to him, um, I had no, I had no email. I didn't know what his email was, but he does, he did have an Instagram. So I reached out to him on Instagram. like, Hey, I'd like to interview you for this, you know, and he agreed to it. Um, That's awesome. yeah. And, and the great thing about Instagram is that you can't close off your 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 dms like you can on twitter so so daisuke was forced to read my message (laughs) Uh, well no at least look at it he he didn't have to respond but he at least took a look at took a look at it and that kind of thing um so i use a lot of different um tactics and i'll get that that sounds a little slimy (laughs) but but I, i use a lot of different methods to try to source interviews um stuff like that uh so so that's uh one thing that twitter really helped me um, mm-hmm. accomplish. Um, I, and then I get a lot of my, yeah, I, I get a lot of my opportunities through Twitter. Um, uh, that's, and that's actually how I got uh, in touch with NPR. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I, so I DM'd another writer, um, at NPR's games column. And so I was like, Hey, what's up? Like, Hey, you know, I've been reading some of your reviews. I really like them. I was wondering if, you know, NPR was taking gaming pitches. Right. 
And and he responded back back to me. He's like, hey, yeah. So um, you can reach out to this editor right right here. Blah blah blah. And you know, and, and then I I asked him if you know he could put a good a good word in for me to the editor, right? Um, mm-hmm. and then I pitched the editor at NPR a review of Halo Infinite, and and she took it. Oh, right? cool. nice. Right. It's like you know, and um, and that now I'm I'm doing a lot more work with NPR. So yeah, it, it it's a really good networking tool. Um, yeah. Like you just, you just have to reach out. And I think um, one thing about being a freelancer uh, is that, well, first off, am I talking too much? I feel no, like I no. Okay, okay, okay. You're okay. here for, we're here for you. <laughs> awesome. I, okay, cool, cool, I'm cool. like that Spider-Man meme where I'm Miles and you're like, Spider- oh yeah, like that one. Peter, <laughs> and I'm just like, please just continue talking. Yeah, 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 more. totally. Yeah. So, um, so, so basically when it comes to freelancing, um, for anyone who's like wanting to write, um, like you have to pitch, like you, you just like you just have to get any opportunity you can, no matter how small, because eventually that will um, lead up to something bigger, right? Yeah. Um, for a, a perfect example of that for me, um, so back with US Gamer, the editor in chief, Kat Bailey, um, I, I worked with her with my Ghost of Tsushima article, right? Um, and then after she left US Gamer, she's now an editor at IGN. And I started writing news regularly for IGN um, last October. And, in, and and I think part of the reason is, is that Kat knows me, right? And so she, and, and, and in addition to my uh, news writing at GameSpot, um, that helped me get my foot in the door to do more regular work with IGN. So, so not only is, like, not only do you have to have a good portfolio, of writing work, but you also, if it, it's also helpful to, um, to build on your network because a lot of it is who you know as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, that's also how I got my job here was networking through Twitter. It's tons of opportunity. Um, I do have a question about, because we you were talking about like DMs on Twitter and it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should, but like email feels so archaic a lot of the times. But like, if you're, say you're like um, friendly with a PR person, are you like, okay, if they DM you and they're like, hey, I have this pitch idea that I think you're good, great for. And like, how do you feel about getting like PR people DMing you? Right. Um, If I've had previous correspondence with them before, I'm totally okay with DMs on Twitter. Um, because yeah. that, that that's a lot a lot quicker. Um, but then afterwards, I'd probably ask to have them like send like have them send like full details to my email. Yeah. Um, so I so it's funny you bring that up because I've seen like like I've seen like an influx of like PR people um, trying to DM me. And like when people you don't know DM you, it goes into, into like a separate into like a separate part in your in your DM session on like on profile, right? And I I, I occasionally uh, check those, um, but yeah, I again I don't open half of them. Like, well, I do open them, but I don't respond to them because right. it's not relevant to me personally. Yeah. Um. But but I'm but like now again, this is just me. But if we if we've had like prior correspondence before you we you know we've talked before then i'm much more likely to answer um and much and you know and, and then i'm also much more receptive to you know 
something like something more casual like Twitter DMs. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And in, in, in the weeds story, uh, or sorry, and in, in the weeds question that I had uh, based on the story you told about Complex, in that's in, in any probably aspiring uh, games reviewers might have the same kind of question. When you pitch that Horizon Forbidden West story to Complex, have has Sony already reached out to you, or do you then go out to Sony being, hey, Complex is interested in a review of Horizon? Would you be able to send me a code? Uh, yeah, so um, hmm. it is, so it's most of the time, it's the latter. Um, and I think, the, the, like the former part, um, they reach out to, like, they ask you if you can reach out. Um, that, that sometimes happened, but not nearly as much. So in, in the case of Complex, um, the, the, the second part you mentioned is exactly how it happened. I, um, I, I reached out to Complex, like, hey, um, I'd like to review you know, this game for you. Um, would you want that, right? And after some back and forth with the editor there, um, you know, he was like, okay, let's do it, right? Then I reached out to Sony PR, like, hey, um, you know, I, so I've been in talks with you know, Complex. Um, they want to review Horizon Forbidden West. Um, can I ask for a review code, right? Um, and they're like, yeah, sure, you know. Um, and you know, it you you also have to have, like a good relationship with the PR people too. Again, all about networking. You know, half of the game is networking, having good mm-hmm. relationships. Um, yeah. So, so that's that definitely part of the game. Um, and and also, uh, I think with, I, and I think that a lot of. Um, a lot of publishers, especially the AAA ones, you know, like your your Sony's, your Nintendo's, your Microsoft's, um, they're they're actually looking, trying to expand outside of traditional gaming websites. You know, like you know, outside of like IGN, outside of you know, GameSpot, Kotaku, Polygon, all of those, um, which is why you know they were very eager to work with a site like Complex because it's outside of that traditional gaming sphere. Um, and one thing I, I want to say about uh, freelancers that, you know, a lot of freelancers do want to, you know, write, you know, uh, get pre-release access like AAA games. Um, the thing is, though, however, is that a lot of these websites, they will keep they will keep the AAA games uh, like the review process um, in-house. Right. Uh, so what that means is that unless that like unless I'm a full-time employee at like IGN or GameSpot, um, I I might not like you know IGN would not give you know uh, the review for The Last of Us Part Two to a freelancer. You know it it will go to someone uh, in house on staff, right? Mm-hmm. So the strategy here is um, look for publications that do cover games, but um, but like they have a, but they have very sparse coverage. In that case, you're more, you're more likely to secure, um, you know, a triple A game review there. It, that makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of websites, they like a lot of websites, uh, they, uh, like the mainstream entertainment websites, they lump tech in with gaming. A lot of times, which is weird, because inter- cause like TV and movies have their own section, their entertainment, yeah. but games for some reason is like 
is lumped in with tech and doesn't have its own section. You know, that's I, I think that's weird. I think gaming should have have its own section. But uh, in any case, um, that's why reaching out to you know big publications, um, like the non traditional ones, uh, non traditional gaming publication can really help um, if you're if you're really looking to score like the highest tier of access for like AAA games. Um, and so that's exactly what I did with NPR and Complex, right? Um, because like I, I do a lot of research when it comes to like what a website would cover. And and like I'm I'm looking at their games coverage, their games column. It's very, very sparse. They'll but like they'll cover, you know, you know, for example, they'll cover like the Sony Bungie acquisition or something like that, like the biggest news. Uh, because that also relates to tech in like some sort of way, right? But when it comes to like dedicated games coverage, they don't really have that. And so for me, that's that's my chance to kind of slip in and and offer that service to them. Gotcha. That's a great tip. Mm -hmm. It is. It's it is nice to see that I, at least I feel like more and more outlets have kind of expanded their games mm -hmm. coverage yeah. lately and have included the games column because right. I'm right there with you where it's, it always feels weird when it's lumped in with tech and like you said, movies and TV has its own, but then yeah. video games is this giant <laughs> industry that so many people just kind of forget about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And at um, this point, if games yeah. are tech, then like the Mandalorian should be too. Cause most of that <laughs> show is like using unreal engine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and like, I, I wish, I wish more mainstream websites would follow the Washington Post launcher model, right? Because mm -hmm. launcher is its own dedicated vertical, you know, and, yeah. and, and I just wish more mainstream websites would have that, you know, um, like for example, like the Hollywood Reporter, they have THR gaming, that kind of thing. NPR has their own games column called join the game. So I, I wish that, you know, a, you know, more websites would have a dedicated ver like gaming vertical for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, lots to digest. Um, <laughs> guess we'll kind of wrap up here. But George, do you have any like specific questions for us as PR professionals? Yeah. Um, so, so there is one that I, I have been curious about. Um, uh, so, so this is coming from the press side, right? So, mm -hmm. so if you're if you're rounding up like review scores of a game, yeah, how do you break it to your client? Like, like, like if the game doesn't get good reviews and you're like trying to round up like stuff for your client, how do you break that news to them? Cause like, I, I feel like, cause I feel like that's an awkward conversation, but like, it's not your fault, you know, that, that kind of thing. So like, I, I was just curious how that works. If you're allowed to tell me. My approach is I, I went to like journalism school. That's what like eventually led me here. And so I just use like, kind of the objective writing guide that I was, you know, raised in through the J school of just like, like you said, like at the end of the day, we didn't make the game. Um, so we're just reporting on what the reviews are. So just be honest, be straight about how, what people are saying. The last thing you want to do is like leave out negative things. That's honestly worse than uh, like including them in there and uh, them finding out later you left out uh, bad things in the reviews. But my approach is just to, be honest, but, you know, straight about it. Okay. There's, I feel like a lot of the times it also does not come as a surprise. Mostly because, like, sometimes if, in my experience, like, if a client feels like their game 
might not be received well and they might want to make like some changes they do these like pre-test demos earlier like in the year before it launches um cat bailey for example we've you like employed her before we're like hey we have this game we want you to play through it give us your review but like it's not a review she publishes she just sends it to us yes yeah Um, i i've i've heard of that too like like sort of like mock reviews yes you treat it like a real review Mm -hmm. um oh and funny thing about that um from what i've heard like I've, i've never done those but from what i've heard those pay so much more than like actual <laughs> public reviews <laughs> so, so 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 that's like oh my god <laughs> you gotta give me on one of those <laughs> i uh i got to do it once um mm-hmm. i did a mock review for actually amazon's new world oh okay. and it's amazon's bank account so <laughs> i was very surprised i was like is this what people get paid for reviews yeah. um and then found out no yeah. but for mock reviews yeah. It, the budget's a little bit higher and i think that's kind yeah. of a like please mm-hmm. keep this everything that you just played like keep it to yourself i mean obviously you have to sign an nda but right yeah at the end of the day i just i feel like from all the internal tests that clients do there's i mean there's so many factors why right. a game goes out and if it's not ready and maybe mm-hmm. if it's not to their vision yeah. but yeah mm-hmm. i feel like they know and that makes it easier like when we do have those frank conversations they're like they're like okay yes like we this is in line with kind of what we were thinking Mm -hmm. and so we kind of come to them like with those results and then a plan of action we're like okay this is the state that we're living in what do we do next like where do we go from here do we have a new game like all right is there going to be a patch for this like Mm -hmm. because i mean there's so many factors but Yeah, I am. Um, We're always thinking yeah. of the future. Right, right. I, I I remember reading a Twitter thread some time ago, saying that um, developers like know, like you know, if like if a bunch of reviews say like, oh, this level is bad, um, like internally devs know that it is bad because they've played it and 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 like they don't like that part of the game or something, but they have to ship the game and you know yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so so I, I totally, I totally understand um, how that goes. So yeah, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to ask us? Um. Uh, mm. So okay, so how how often do like PR people blacklist press companies? Because like I like I. I, I would understand if it was like a really like egregious um, embargo, like break or something like that. But I mean, mistakes do happen, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can't trust the, the internal CMS. You know, like like you'll schedule something to post at this specific time. But for whatever reason, it publishes the day before the embargo that you set it to, like internally on the website. So whoopsie daisy, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> like how, uh, like how, how does that work internally with like PR? What do you discuss? Like, oh, we should never work with this press again, like this one outlet again or whatever. I mean, we're all human too. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it happens as often as maybe people think because mm-hmm. we do understand like, and that's happened just in the year that I've been here where like right. an embargo went live too soon and I immediately reached out to that reporter and they were like, oh my God, it just like you said, it was just a flaw in their system it didn't get updated it's just something and like Mm -hmm. immediately took it down um 
And so, like, I mean, we're not going to blacklist them for that. Right. But I feel like if it was, I can't even think of an example. I, because I just don't think it happens often, but if it was like something that it just continued to happen with the same reporter or, I, I don't know yeah. if you've had any experience, but it's, I don't it's have not any a very common examples but like if hypothetically like a journalist were to say like something false and extremely negative about a client um that might lead to a blacklisting but then in that case like the journalist probably isn't expecting the client to be like reaching out to them with all mm -hmm. you know this information if this mm -hmm. person were to be publishing um you know false things in the first place so mm -hmm. I, i'm right. with caitlin it's it's I, I don't have any personal experience with it okay um the the only time well most times that um, PR people reach out to me after I publish something is is like actually to uh, correct a um, like either a typo that that like it, it, it it's not like a misspelling but like the typo actually like completely changes things right um, because uh, because I, I remember writing something for for Gamespot and and I somehow got the release date mixed up with something else right and so I, I posted it what went on and um and 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 one of the pr reps reached out to me actually through twitter dms as like hey on your article thing you mentioned release date of this but it's actually this and then I, I looked at it again like and like cross-referenced you know my material like oh like oh yeah he's right i did i did get it wrong for what i don't know how it happened i don't remember how it happened um but then i like quickly changed it and updated it but yeah, so I mean, that's really the only time I've I, I I've ever had like a, another PR person directly reach out to me for something after I published something. Um, but of course, I, I doubt they'll blacklist me over that. <laughs> but no, no, mm -hmm. I trust me. I, those kinds of corrections that we're like, ah, get, like we understand. We're like, that's ah, just yeah. something happened. We don't care. We send the email, and it's like two seconds of our yeah. time. Mm -hmm. We're not like, oh my god, I can't believe that reporter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We're like, oh, unfortunate, but we know that something mm -hmm. like that would just get edited and fixed. Gotcha. Well, Sam, do you have any other questions? I feel like we covered everything and more that we were planning to. Yeah, just kind of one fun one to wrap us up here. George, if if you had a golden ticket to get any pitch through, do you have like a dream story? Hmm. A feature or an interview? Yeah. Um, personally for me, I... I don't want to talk about like the specific subject, but I'd, I'd love to interview um, Reggie Fizeme. Mm. Um, you know, uh, you know, he's ex Nintendo, but I would love to interview um, him about like a variety of different like subjects about Nintendo, um, particularly because of how like how, how secretive Nintendo is with things. Um, so I'd like I'd love to get his insight on like how how certain things work. Um, but yeah. <laughs> As a fan, I, I would love that. to read that. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, like, it, now I'm upset that the, doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, because the whole the whole industry is very secretive compared to like other entertainment, um, like entertainment, ben, like uh, like entertainment, um, stuff. I guess like yeah. like like TV and movies is not nearly as stringent as games. For some reason, for some reason, games is like like. Everyone wants to be so secretive, protect against leaks and all that. <laughs> so there, there's that. So I, I think I think within that context, um, that makes like, you know, an interview with Reggie even more enticing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I, I would love that opportunity, but yeah. Well, we will manifest that for you. <laughs> yes, I have my crystals. I'll grab them. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining joining us, George. Uh, do you want to tell the audience where they can find you on social media? And yeah, um, so you can follow me on Twitter um, at Yin Yang Fui. Um, don't ask me how I got that name. It was just something <laughs> like sixth grade that like stuck. Uh, but how you spell it is Y I N Y A N G F O O E Y. Love it. It's a unique username. I know, it's right? Like, like I'll go to like different websites and like nobody has ever taken it. So perfect for me. I can just grab all of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I'll also plug uh, georgeyyang.com. Uh, yes. Yep. Mm -hmm awesome portfolio site thank you yeah I, I i spent a lot of time trying to make it look pretty <laughs> yeah it looks great thank you <laughs> great well thank you again for joining us and yeah, thank no you to our listeners for tuning in we will see you next time bye thank you bye